We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Liar. Welcome back to the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Pilato. Today we got a special show for you. For those of you who remember from last year, and I know a lot of you reached out to me on Twitter and said it was the best show we had during draft season. So we're excited to do it again. We got John Ledyard from Pewter Report, big time draft analyst, one of my favorites on Twitter, one of my favorites that I follow and read every year and learn a lot from, to be quite honest. He's here today with us to talk edge class. He's here today with us to talk, to talk IDL. These are two position groups we know the Giants are going to have interest in, specifically edge. I think it's a given, a lock, they're going to take at least one edge in this class. As far as IDL goes, with Dave Gettleman at the helm, you can never count out them drafting an IDL, especially with B.J. Hill about to hit next year, with obviously Dalvin Tomlinson now not on the roster, and Danny Sheldon signing only a one-year deal. So we're going to talk to those position groups. Before we do that, John, I want to welcome you in by talking a little bit about your experience covering the Tampa Bay Buccaneers during a Super Bowl winning season. What is it like to have Tom Brady as your quarterback? Oh, man, it was pretty fun, uh, you know, to be able to get a, I was like new on the scene. I started February, early February, and then from that point on, it was like a whirlwind of things really like that happened. I mean, obviously the situation with Jameis was up in the air when I started. And at that point in time, everybody really thought Jameis was probably going to come back um, on the tag. And then everybody after that, everybody was kind of like, okay, if James isn't coming back, the other options are like maybe Philip Rivers, th- things along those lines. There was really not, and, and maybe this is partially because the, the franchise is lost for so long, but there wasn't a huge faction of people that thought it was realistic for Tom Brady until like the week of free agency. That's when it started becoming reality. And then obviously late in that week, uh, it actually happened. And so it was pretty crazy. I think even Bucks fans probably underestimated the fact that they had such a good roster, a roster that would really attract Brady. I was still new, and I'd seen the team, but I, well, it's not like the Bucks are on national TV every week, and, and I wasn't studying them per se. So I was starting to study them, and I was realizing, man, there are not many holes in this team. And, you know, it's kind of me leading the way for the Pewter Report staff. I think a lot of those guys had seen the Bucks lose for so long. They were like, oh, man, there's they'll be a good team, but they won't be a Super Bowl team. They'll make the playoffs just barely. And I was like, I really don't know if there's that many teams that are better than them guys. And then the season started and it was the ebbs and flows of trying to find your pace and, and just stop beating yourselves real themselves really. And once they got that under control, I felt like it was going to be hard to stop them. Uh, you know, I think after the saints victory, we all kind of felt like it, it, it felt like a little bit like destiny that they were going to win it all. It's also, John, it's crazy how you guys retain so much of that talent, man, bringing back, Jack Bear, bringing back Chris Godwin, and bringing back, I think, playoff Lenny as well. And it's really just Antonio Brown that's on the outside. It must be nice being down in Florida right now 
with Tom Brady as a quarterback. Yeah, it is. It's a unique offseason. Obviously, the first time in NFL history that a, that a Super Bowl winning team has returned every single starter from the Super Bowl. I guess they don't count Antonio Brown as a starter. I'm not really sure how that works if he didn't play yeah. the first snap. Or, but, uh, yeah, he's dealing with what's kind of up in the air right now. We'll see what ends up happening with him. Uh, I think that door is going to be open for him. If he doesn't sign with a team by by the draft, I mean, he's probably going to just wait at that point until training camp. The money's not going to get better for an offer anywhere else. He's got that next court date in December. So um, we'll see what ends up happening with Antonio Brown. Uh, not too worried about it, even if he doesn't come back. But if he does come back, obviously that makes him a little bit, even a little bit more dangerous uh, on offense. But Brady's always made do with, without the elite weapons in the past. And he's still got Godwin Evans, Kronk, O.J. Howard, Scotty Miller, Tyler Johnson was coming on last year. So still a really good group, and I think they'll end up being fine. Yeah, and it's funny because you mentioned the Brady signing and how it was kind of a whirlwind all at once. On our side, like at CBS Sports, on the content side, we're always the whole offseason we're talking about, Brady's going to be free agent. This could be absolutely monstrous for us if he doesn't resign with the Patriots because from a content standpoint, him going literally anywhere would be great. And then he went to the Bucs and was like, eh, will this be good? They're not a huge market for us. We don't have a huge social presence with them. Ended up being unbelievable. All Brady content crushed all offseason. Gronk came to the team. It was amazing. So before we turn the page on that season and the Bucks roster and turn to the 2021 draft, because we obviously want to talk to you about the prospects, I do want to ask you about a couple players who the Bucks drafted last year who both Nick and I talked about at length during last draft season. One player I had on my main target list for day two, and that's Antoine Winfield. The other, Tristan Wirfs, me and Nick somewhat weren't as high on as maybe we wish we were now, and we were hoping maybe the Giants would have taken him at four. But my question for you as somebody who evaluates the team but also just came over to evaluating the team, it's not like you're a fan, you grew up a fan of the team, so I really feel like you have an objective outside viewpoint on this roster. Were they, were both of those players, you can talk about them individually, but were both of those players as good as what it seems like on the outside for those of us who don't follow the team as closely as you? Yes, they were excellent. I mean, Tristan Wirfs, I legitimately don't think it's an exaggeration to say he's already probably one of the best tackles in the league. I mean, you look at the pass rushers he went up against, but not only that, if you, you'll get, dig a little deeper to the intricacies, like the Bucks didn't really help him in pass protection all season. You know, he went out week one on an island against Cam Jordan in a game the Bucks trailed and had to throw all game, and he really – you know, dominated against Cameron Jordan. I mean, that's that's been a buck killer over the years. He immediately endeared himself to fans, obviously, with that performance. But it also put us on notice, you know, sometimes it doesn't take that long. I like Tristan Wirfs a lot coming into the draft. He was a top 10 for me, I believe. Um, and he was my OT2 after Jedrick Wills, who also had a great rookie season. But it was immediate almost watching Tristan Wirfs. Obviously, we didn't get to see him. There was no preseason. It was immediate watching him in week one. I was like, I rewatched that tape, and I – I remember texting my boss, Scott, and I was like, I think Tristan Wirfs might be a really special player, like a Hall of Fame caliber type of talent. Just watching him in, in that one game, sometimes that's all it takes. When a guy can move like the way that he does and the consistency of his pass sets to go out against a guy as dominant as Cam Jordan physically over the years, just physically the way that Cam Jordan would dictate terms against rookies. I remember the year before, just destroyed Caleb McGarry. I mean – it was to the point where you were just like, I don't know that Caleb McGarry's confidence will be the same. And that's the way Cam Jordan carries himself. He talks trash during games. And for Werfs to go out and really physically just be able to match everything that Jordan threw at him, you knew it was going to be special. He ended up having, obviously, an unbelievable season. Gave up just one sack all year. Was, uh, it, was, it was unbelievable. He should have been Offensive Rookie of the Year if they considered offensive linemen for those. I think he definitely would have won the award. And then for Antoine Winfield, really good, really good rookie season for sure. Very little was his fault. The only thing I would say for Winfield is that I think as he gets older and he develops as a player a little bit more, he'll find ways to be even more impactful and more helpful to all the other players around him. He played a lot of single high in Bulls defense. The Bucks did get thrown on a lot, but it was a lot on the outside this season. He wasn't always in position to make plays. Not that there was anything was his fault, but once he started to later in the season and then obviously he was outstanding in the Super Bowl, and there were games where they really needed him to be outstanding. He was he was terrific. But the versatility with Winfield, we only got to see glimpses of it last season with his blitzing and his ability to play in man coverage. A, a lot of the time they needed him to be deep. I think this season you'll see him move around a lot more, play some strong safety, do different things, and that I think is where he's going to be at his even – even at his be- even even a better player as we move forward 
when he's able to do a lot of those things and be more of a chess piece than he even was this past season. Yeah, looking forward to seeing his development. And Dan and I love the Dikembe Mutombo impersonation he had in the Super Bowl against Tyreek Hill, just shaking the finger, no, no, no. But we want to transition to the Giants. So the Giants run a lot of multiple type of fronts, and then on running downs, they run a lot of three, four tight base odd fronts. But Patrick Graham kind of asks them to do multiple different things. He likes a lot of versatility in his edge rushers. So what edge rusher that's going to be available early in the draft, day one, day two, can effectively set the edge, be a good run defender, rush the passer, and also drop into boundary flat zone coverages? None of them. <laughs> not, not right out of the gate anymore. Anyway. One I mean, thing I do like about John a lot, and Nick and I actually discussed this like last night or, or two nights ago when we were talking about getting John on, is John is tough. He's tough grader, and I think you actually tweeted about this too, John. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I think it's important to set the, the, the tone here. It's you just tweeted about this. I, not enough draft analysts are tough on these players, and then one year goes by and these players fail, or they you know they don't look like they were supposed to, they were built to be, and everybody just gives up on these players. But I think it's important to note that like not everybody who comes into the NFL is going to be an immediate starter. Not anyone who comes into the NFL is even going to be an immediate like pass down uh, contributor at the edge, for example. So go into go into what you're going to say, but I think it's important to set the tone. It is. Uh, it is. It is. Uh, just it's not easy to make it in the NFL. I know that seems like an obvious thing to say, but we don't grade that way as a group. As as if you look across draft media, we don't grade that way. We we give we hedge on players and we're I think people are really I think people are smarter and better at evaluation than they give themselves credit for with the valuation part of what they do. I think people can figure it out. I think they know what works and what doesn't. So if you don't like a prospect, if you look at him and you say, I know burst bend and rush moves matter the most when you're talking about prospects going to the NFL and edge rushers going to the NFL, and a guy doesn't have those three things, but other people are mocking him in the first round, you don't need to give him a high second round grade and then say, oh, I was a little da- I was a little bit different. I was down. You can put him in the fourth round. If you think he's going to be a role player forever, put him in the fourth round. I think that's where – that's where dra- the draft analysts uh, fall behind a little bit from where the NFL is. Because the NFL can be like, this guy's never going to play in our league for three downs. We know what it takes to play in our league for three downs. He might be great at this and this, but if he can't do this, that's it. That's all it takes. We, and so they know where to value a player because they know what his role is going to be in the NFL. We've got to be, I think, better at that as, as a draft analyst community. It, and it really depends how you treat it. If you treat this as a hobby and it's just for fun for you, I get it. It's fun and, like, that's fine. I don't have any issue with that at all. It's fun for you, and it's it's probably best to look at everybody, you know, in a positive lens and say, oh, you know, I, I like this about this guy. I like this about this guy. It's easy to do that, but at the end of the day, we've got to be able to figure out what they cannot do as well. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to value them appropriately, and we're just going to end up with 130 rounds, one through three grades. Yeah. Well, that just isn't going to happen in the NFL. So um, as for the edge rushers in this class, I say none of them. It doesn't mean none of them have the potential. They all, a lot of them have the potential to be the kind of player what you're describing, but you, you, you want you know, a very diverse type of player. You know, the one that stands the best chance of doing that right off the bat is Jalen Phillips. I'm not sure about the dropping. Uh, I don't think he did it a ton at Miami. I watched five games. I don't, I didn't see him do it very often at Miami, so we'll see. But I don't know why I was his athleticism. There shouldn't be an issue with that. It's more about getting the land points and, and figuring out where receivers are in zone and things like that. But that's something you can teach a guy. Ideally, he has the type of traits that you want to be able to set the edge. He can slash inside and get through gaps. But also physicality, like that. I mean, that you want a guy who can dictate pace with his hands, can trim the corner, give himself those angles to the quarterback. You know, I always talk about guys as edge rushers who can win outside the hip of the offensive tackle, through the offensive tackle, and inside, across the face of the offensive tackle. If you can win on all three of those planes as a pass rusher in college, you're you're going to be a good player in the NFL, really. I mean, especially if you're playing at the FBS level and you're doing that. And that's what Jalen Phillips did last year. You know, He was that type of player. So he's definitely the best. I have very few questions about Jalen Phillips on the field. I don't think there's an edge rusher in this class close to him on the field. It's just going to be off the field and injury history, concussions in his history, a wrist injury, uh, and a moped accident where a car hit him. I mean, he just, there's that kind of stuff in his past. You know, he medically retired from football. Does he love the game? He's into music. I don't have any issue with it, but I just know that reality is with teams. That's something that they talk about and consider, you know, and, and at the end of the day, if he's not committed to football, it's NFL is very, very hard. Like we said, like, so 
you got to be. So teams will have to evaluate all that. I just worry about the tape, the testing, and the production, all three of those were elite last year for Phillips. So he's definitely your best bet if you're talking early in the draft, if you're looking for the most complete player. Yeah, that's great, especially because we've been hearing some rumors that the Giants have, want to get an edge in this draft, and they might go ahead and just take one at 11, viewing it as we get our choice of the best edge, we get to evaluate every prospect, we know we're going to have that first choice at it, and we might want, want to take that risk. Me and Nick are not really on board with that. I'm definitely not on board with that, especially, you know, you go back and we we ask you who who has all these traits that can immediately be in every down edge, and it's like no one. And, you know, you say Phillips has those traits, and I think that's true, but obviously, you know, it's also, a, even in addition to everything you just said, there is also the fact of the matter that it is a small sample size of production. I don't know if you care about something like that, but it's not like, you know, he did burst onto the scene late into his collegiate yeah. career. So that's something I think to consider as well. Some other interesting, some other interesting things in your rankings. You have one thing that I think everybody will find interesting, at least. Uh, and Nick wrote this one down. You have Quincy Roche ranked ahead of Gregory Rousseau, and I know early on in the process, Gregory Rousseau was often mocked to the Giants. Me and Nick never saw that. Nick was actually first on this to talk about how he really didn't really love Rousseau's tape at all when he watched him. Um, so just talk about that a little bit, and kind of I guess, do you like is that because you like Roche a lot, or is that because more so you just don't see it with Rousseau? Uh, more so, I just don't see with Rousseau. I mean, Roche is good for what he is, uh, for sure, just limited player. We could talk about him later maybe too, but uh, Rousseau, uh, the biggest issue with Rousseau is I, I, I don't know how to get on board with the guy of his play style, meaning like not a super physical or technically sound guy who's also not an elite athlete, not very explosive off the ball. It's just hard for me to figure out where a guy like that will win consistently in the NFL. When you had to have your production schemed for you at Miami, and remember, when he played, Phillips wasn't there and Roshi wasn't there. So it was just Rousseau, and they really they got him open. I mean, what, five sacks against Florida State, something like that? I mean, that offensive line can't tie their shoes. And you could tell on the tape when you were watching Rousseau, you were like, okay, they're creating a lot of this for him. He did, you know, he lined up inside, and he crossed the face of guards, you know, and, and he won that way. And, and I can find credit for that, but it's it's about working on that linear path, right? When you're an inside rusher – you can work on that more direct path to the pocket. When you're an outside guy, you have to find a way to accelerate up that arc and then bend through contact to the top of that arc. That's just at the very least. That's where you start with edge rushers, right? Can you win on that outside arc to the passer, to the quarterback on a consistent basis? So the first thing and most important thing in my mind for edge rushers is, are you explosive in your first couple steps? And then are you? does that speed continue as you climb up the arc and you turn that corner? Can you maintain it? He just isn't noteworthy in either way at all. I mean, you don't see him win the edge at all in college. So then I go, okay, well, he's not going to win the edge in the NFL. Does he have the physicality? Can he get through a tackle? Can he take that path um, to the quarterback? Can he win through? And he doesn't really have hands like that. He doesn't really have power like that right now in his game. He's not super physical like that uh, in his game. Maybe that can develop, maybe, but it's hard when you don't press guys up the arc. They can sit on your inside moves. They can sit on your power moves. And we saw from his testing, he, he doesn't really bend very well either. That was the unknown for me because he never hardly, he hardly ever won the corner. So I was like, can he bend if he at least gets there? <laughs> then I don't think he can do that either. Um, so then it was, okay, can he cross the face of his opponent? Maybe a little bit. But again, if you don't have speed and you don't have bend and you don't have power, nobody's going to fall for your inside moves unless you're facing some, you know, pot at tackle like he did in college at times. So I think he has to be inside to win as a rusher right now. That is a legitimate possibility for him. He could play inside situationally for a team. He's obviously not big enough to play inside full-time, nor does he have the pad level, the mental process, the technique. I mean, playing inside is a totally different thing than playing outside on an every-down basis. Situational rusher, that rusher, that could be Rousseau long-term. There's no doubt that's in his cards. Those kind of players for me, I'd put in like the fourth round. That's where I have him graded. Um, I just think that he just needs he needs to develop in a lot of ways, first of all, even if that all happened and he all he, he blossomed into this, the perfect version of what he could be, to me that's more David Irving than it is Chandler Jones or Jason Pierre-Paul, who some people compare him to. He is not built like those guys. He does not play, I mean, like, built, not physically, but, like, those guys are nasty football yeah. players. Like, Chandler Jones will cross-chop your hands off. Like, that's not Rousseau. That's not really what he does. He finesses and slithers by guys. And to win that way in the NFL, you have to be a really good athlete, and I just don't see that in his game. Yeah, that's spot on, John. It's something that Dan and I have talked about on the podcast ad nauseum. 
But there's another player that I would like to bring up from the SEC, and that's Aziz Ojolari, somebody who I didn't see necessarily excellent bend with. I don't think it's a huge liability, but it's definitely not an elite trade of his. Has a solid first step. How do you feel he can translate to the NFL? He is so similar to Yannick Ngakwe to me. I know that comp's out there, and I I hate just comping, like pulling those common comps. And I won't even comp a player if I don't see it a lot of time. It's not obvious to me, but it's hard to get away from with Ojolari, even down to the, the bend you were talking about. Like, he, I think he can, he tilts. He doesn't really bend. He tilts. And that's exactly what Ngakwe does. He, like, tilts. You could call it ankle flexibility maybe. But they don't really, like, bend through their hips like a guy like Phillips does or like you've seen Queedy Pay do. He just kind of tilts his way to the pocket. He, and, and it's – it's kind of like, I don't know if I would say it's a cheat code for not having great hip flexibility, but he's like so fast that he can just still keep turning that corner at top speed and he just is able to angle his body to the pocket. But you're right, he's like not super bendy, but he still wins like a speed bend pass rusher wins. And that just is so much like Ngakwe to me. So as pass rushers, they are really similar to each other. I don't recall off the top of my head how Ngakwe tested. I know Jalari did not test very well, and he's an undersized edge. That is usually a pretty bad sign. Um, I do love that he's as quick as he is on tape. I, I couldn't overthink his speed. I know he ran like, God, I think four sixes maybe at two at 240 something. So it's not bad or anything, but a pro day, you know, maybe he's a four seven guy that a combine. That's not terrific. I could get burnt with Ojolari. I don't have a super high grade. I'm having the middle of the second. Um, you know, I don't have a super high grade in him, but he's my edge number two. I just think he's so explosive that he can eventually learn more things. I think he's so explosive that he can set up power moves as he learns them. And he's physical. He's not big, but he's physical. He doesn't win as a physical rusher yet, but he will get, he will go after guys. There's no question. I mean, he's he's unblocked on the edge, and he has to step down as the last man on the line of scrimmage, and he steps down with, with authority. I mean, he takes on polars like he's a defensive tackle. That's how he hits people. So I love his his play temperament. I just think that if he can keep developing his hands, find some counter moves, he's explosive enough that he could work speed counters and he could get back inside of guys. I could definitely see speed spin moves in his repertoire as the future goes on. He has occasionally crossed the face of a tackle and countered back inside, and he's just so quick and light on his feet that he can do it. But the problem is right now he's got no counters. Like if he if a guy lands his punch, he's done. So like Ngakwe, again, he could be impactful for two snaps a game, and that could change the game. He's not the kind of pass rusher that's going to make you sweat every single down. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. But if he can catch you late out of your stance one time, that's really all a guy like that needs. He's so explosive and so fast. I think he can get there. So it's about, you know, what are you going to get value-wise? I don't think you'll ever get a, you know, a top-tier edge defender in the NFL. But I think he could be an 8-10 to 10 sack guy who's decent against the run, never shut down. Um, you know, Ngakwe's bounced around a few teams now, and, and I'm not sure if his career is going to kind of recover after the past, last last two stops. Um, we'll see, and that may be in the cards for Ojolari, but first couple years of his contract, you know, people are still trying to figure him out. Or for, Yeah, first couple years of his contract, I think you could get some production from him. He could be an exciting player. Yeah, and that's Aziz Ojolari. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions, and now they want to help you even more. 
With a Credit Karma Money Spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot, and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Open your FDIC insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll automatically be entered to win $1 million. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash winmoney to open your free account and start winning Instant Karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash winmoney to sign up for free and start winning. That's creditkarma.com slash winmoney. Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. Hey, from Georgia. John's number two prospect. Honestly, I like how you broke him down, John, but it doesn't give me warm feelings about the Giants potentially using the 11th overall pick on a player like that. But I want to talk a little bit about a player you have ranked third in your edge rankings, and that's Jason O out of Penn State. I think he's a really interesting prospect for a lot of reasons. One, the Giants sent a strong contingent to the Penn State Pro Day. Many thought it was for Micah Parsons, but ultimately, from everything I'm hearing, they're not really interested in going off-ball linebacker at 11, and I really think they sent those guys there to check out Oa. He's a guy who picked up football really late in his life. Obviously, everybody talks about the freakish athleticism, and they also talk about the fact that he had zero sacks in 2020. What do you make of Oa, and do you where where do you kind of view him, I don't know, three, four, five years from now? Before I even get into their tape, I always try to look at their production. Not to, not to, it doesn't it doesn't sway me too much or give me any preconceived biases going into the tape. I don't think it just gives me kind of a, okay. What am I expecting? What am I working with here? When a guy has zero sacks during his, you know, seven games this past season, zero sacks during his last season, and then declares for the draft, uh, I'm concerned, and I need to see. I'm not a big, you know, production is everything type of guy, but it definitely matters. You can't, you know, you look at history and over the last 20 years. There's only been one edge defender that's been drafted with less than 10 college sacks who, who predominantly lined up on the edge in college. You know, so not not Cameron Wake, who was off ball guy, not Clay Matthews, who played off the ball, but guys who were predominantly on the edge in college football who had less than 10 career sacks and then went on to be a stud in the NFL. I mean, your best case scenarios before this, before Donnell Hunter, who was the one player, were like Ziggy Ansah and Robert Ayers. And those types of players, those are those are okay. Those are guys, you know, was onside a year or two, um, but you know, not not the type of guy you want if you're picking number eleven. And so, right away, Danelle Hunter's your outlier, right? Like, so that's and I said this last year with Caleb and Chase, who had nine and a half sacks. He was close, but he wasn't there. And so I said, like, if you're taking a guy like Caleb and Chase, you gotta you gotta you gotta know you're t- you're going for the outlier. If you're taking him in the top twenty, which is where he went, um, I think, or top twenty five. Uh, if you're taking them there, you've got to understand what you're up against. Like statistically speaking, those guys just tend not to work out. If you're going to work out, if you're going to be that guy, you need to be a premier athlete. Caleb and Jason was a premier athlete, so he's got a chance. Jason away is going to enter the NFL at what, 21 years old or whatever he is. And he's immediately going to be one of the most athletic people in the league, not just edge defenders, people. He is a certified freak. There's no way around it. Now, he has a lot to learn. What I liked about his game was that he became a much better run defender this season after really not even being a full-time player the year before. His run defense had not stood out to that point. He got a lot better. He Technically, with his hands, he played with good leverage, good punch, was good in unblocked situations, uh, really messed up polars. I mean, not even just stepping down, but he would dip underneath them and do the Aaron Donald thing and get into the backfield. And he's a highly, highly athletic guy. It just has not translated into pass rush at all, really, at this point. I mean, occasionally you'll see how quick he is off the ball. I think there's like one rep against Michigan State where you just see this like instant flatten and corner. And it's like, what in the world? Like you just don't see it at all. I mean, I went through like four games. Sometimes when I go through four games, I'm just like, man, I just need to see their highlights. And I know people are like, oh, highlights. I think it's good to watch highlights after you've seen a couple games because if you're not sure about a guy, you're like, man, I have not seen any good pass rush, 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 rush reps from a guy. I need to know if he even has it in his repertoire. So, like, you put on their – and then their highlights reels, like, all hustle sacks. It's like, all right. It's like, 
I mean, I'm glad you're trying hard, bud, but this is your highlight reel. Like, I don't need to watch anymore. And so I just tried to watch as much away as I possibly could. And there's just a couple moments as a pass rusher. But his run defense is really good. I think he's still a blossoming player. He's young. He's obviously an elite athlete. I wouldn't draft him at all if I didn't think he was he was a, the type of person, though, that's going to put in the time. Danell Hunter's a dog, and that's why he made it. Um, if Jason Away is a dog and he's all about football, great. Then I'd draft him. You know, I'd draft him and probably he'd probably be, I could see, I could see you talking yourself into making him a top 32 pick. If you don't get that feeling from when you talk to him, don't bother because there's like no chance he makes it unless he's willing to put that kind of time and effort in. I think you nailed that, John. I think what it comes down to with a player like this, and hopefully the Giants have a little insight because they have Coach Spencer on their team. When it comes down to a player like this is does he love football and is he going to put in the time because it's all protection here. But I do think, and, and you and you made a great point, like the Danelle Hunter is an outlier, but there is one outlier you might have you might have missed going back there, and that's 2009. Unfortunately, the Giants were on the right side of this one because Jason Pierre-Paul only really had that one season at South Florida, six and a half sacks. I, most would consider him an outlier, too. Even when the Giants took him so high in the middle of the first round, a lot of people were surprised by that pick, but they obviously felt like he was a dog. They obviously felt like he had the athletic traits to kind of translate. They're not, I don't think they're similar prospects. I'm not trying to say that, but I do think, you know, that's at least another example of maybe an outlier coming true. Well, with, with Pierre Paul, he was still at in college, you know, just somewhere else. So it was just like he was like kind of not a totally clean comparison because of he was in college, but it was just not at that. It was at what Fort Scott Community College. Right. Ten and a half sacks there in 2008. So when I say that, I'm talking about even guys who have played at community college yeah, used yeah. to have to have the production at some level in college. And it doesn't mean doesn't mean Pierre Paul is going to hit because he had a certain amount of production. It just means like during your college years, and like you said, only one year in South Florida, you can you can you overlook that a little bit if a guy had only played one year. But but you have to look at the whole college picture. And that's where like the that's where the struggle for guys like Hunter in a way came because you look at their whole college career, that whole time that they were developing as players, they weren't getting to the quarterback, you know, and so you had to be either one of those guys that were basically an outlier. And in some ways JPP could qualify for that, but I counted that and there was a couple other guys too that were community college. I can't remember their names off the top of my head, but they were community college or they were at a JUCO or something like that. And they produced there, but then they only had one year less than ten in the FBS, and so it just—it's all that college production goes into that statistic. But yeah, definitely a, a tricky situation for guys like Away. Absolutely. And speaking of other Big Ten pass rushers, John, I wanted to bring up Quiddy Pay because you, you hear a lot of stuff. There's smoke screens. There's a lot of just people talking on Twitter about, oh yeah, there's inside sources. The Giants are interested in player X. Well, Quiddy Pay is one of those guys that we haven't talked about extensively on the podcast. But he could be one of the players that the Giants may be targeting. What do you feel about Quiddy Picks? I see a good football player, but I don't see that that high end type of player that you want to spend a top fifteen pick on. Where do you stand with this? Yeah, I agree with you. He just again, it's a big risk. Um, you know, he got to the sack total. I think that you need what, just barely maybe eleven over or something like that. But it's just hard. I mean, Michigan just misused them. They played him inside. They played him in like a square stance over the tackle. They didn't just let him go go off the edge, you know, just wind up and go. Like it was – the reps were rare. There were there were flashes of dominance from him more than you even get from a guy like Away, to be honest. You know, to me, those guys really – their scores are so close for me. I'm just taking whichever one, you know, seems like they're more into football. I know Pay was a captain, and his guys speak highly of him. So maybe I'd take Pay first if I were an NFL team. The thing that sold me on a way, while I have a way higher, is he actually just graded higher in run defense for me. And so I thought, okay, easy path to being uh, on the field right away as a full-time player for a way and being able to kind of figure it out on the on the move, which is kind of, which is important, I mean, when you're trying to develop and stuff. I don't think many guys do it from, from not being on the field. And so you got to get out there. NFL doesn't have a lot of patience for you, I don't think, if you're not out there. And so – but Pay, yeah, I think his, his team speaks really highly of him. So, you know, if that's, that continues to be the case, he may earn his way out of the field too. But he could be great. He could be a total bust. He's the hardest one to figure out in the group to me. Um, I know where away are. I know where Ojolari is right now. What they'll become, sure, that's tough. I don't really even feel like I know that much about what Quimity Pay is right now because of how Michigan used him. They they saw this big stocky frame, I think, and they were like, man, this guy's thick. We could put him inside. And it's just horrible. Like, he's a speed bend guy. He's a great athlete. Like, you want to put him out on the edge. Like, it just didn't make any sense how they used him. I think they just 
they thought he could be something that he wasn't really ready to be. I mean, you you kick inside late in your career, right? When you figured out everything about pass rushing, when you know how to counter guys, what their pass sets look like, how your hands should work in conjunction with their punch, that's when you slide a guy inside for the most part. Like you want you know guys like that when you give them those inside reps, like a Jason Pierre-Paul now in his career for you know for the Bucks, like he he can he understands how to work on that path at this point in his career, Brandon Graham later in his career, so many guys like that. They tried to do that with Queedy Pay, like at 20 years old, 19 years old. I mean, it's just it's just a waste in my opinion. Like you had to – so he never really learned how to pass rush uh, off the edge, and so that's why there's so much inconsistency uh, with what he does. You, you see a couple explosive first stabs, a couple – some you know, some unbelievable bend at times. We know about his three-cone now, stuff of legends. Obviously his testing's great. Um, not super long armed, but I thought he checked the box. I think he was 33 um, at, at his pro day. So it's just all about his game. We never see a counter move from the guy. I mean, like never see a counter move. Um, so he just he has to develop just a lot. And you're right. Right now, there's no question. He is not a dominant player on tape. Could he become one? I would like to know a lot about the, the you know the kid, the person uh, before I would be able to say that. Yeah, I'm with you on that. He's just another player I really wouldn't want at 11 for the Giants. Not in a class where you're likely to see four quarterbacks go before 11, so there's very likely to be a blue-chip player at some position available to the Giants, and to just reach for a need, it just seems a little outside outside the comfort zone for me, at least, as far as what I want to do from a roster building standpoint. We promise we won't take up all your time here tonight, John, but we do want to do a couple more on the edges, and then we'll do some real quick on the IDLs, because... Quite frankly, there's not too much to talk about with this IDL class. But <laughs> let's talk about your number five edge rusher, and that's Peyton Turner, the six foot five, two hundred seventy pound edge out of Houston, who I haven't really heard much about, and I thought it was really interesting to see him at number five in your edge ranking. So let's talk a little bit about Turner. What did you like? What are some things maybe you didn't like? Uh, maybe I just liked seeing a guy that knew what he was doing and just you know dictated terms on tape. Um, you know, but as much as I might like Coach Laurie in a way and pay. And even Osai, who's next to my rankings, like at the end of the day, those guys, you know, it's just flashes. You watch a whole game for one or two plays, and they're just learning so much. And they're, some of them are young, and some of them just like, hey, I haven't gotten the right opportunities and the right put in the right situations. And Osai, you know, late to play on the edge, and so he's still totally developing. And you know, you really have to be patient and stick with it and see the traits. And you know, it takes elite athleticism to play on the edge in the NFL. You know, I think so. I value that a lot. And Peyton Turner's uh, pro day is actually Friday, and so we'll see um, how he tests. Obviously, that could impact this grade as well that I have for him up here because he's, it's the, all these guys are pretty close right now. Um, but I, what I like about Turner is he just he's, he gets it already. He can play tomorrow if he needed him to. Very, very physical, very violent, plays with a ton of energy. Marcus Davenport vibes for sure, but he just played way more nasty than Davenport. You know, Davenport was always kind of a – Okay, there it is for a play, and then this disappears. And Peyton Turner's just in on a brawl every single play, man. I mean, he's just absolutely throwing haymakers and trying to toss guys. And I thought he played really well against BYU, who's obviously the best offensive line he faced last season. You know, Brady Christensen, he he tossed him on one play, and, and Brady Christensen had good reps against Turner too. You know, he he's not really your traditional edge though. You know, Peyton Turner's not really a speed bend guy. You know, I mean, he he can definitely win enough on that outside plane, especially if he keeps getting better with his hands. One of the things that's really noteworthy about Turner is that he's much more explosive right now out of a three-point stance, which he didn't play in as much at Houston, uh, than he is from a two-point stance, which he was mostly in this past year at Houston. He was mostly in that two-point stance, but he falls steps out of it. He's kind of like all over the place, wobbling around. Not really, it was very Davenport-like again. If you remember Davenport, when you watched him coming out, he like rarely did he look comfortable before the ball was snapped. He was kind of like teetering and off balance and it would sometimes he'd time it just right and he would be like leaning forward right when the snap was going and he'd get off a lot of the time it was just he was all over the place and he had to like sidestep to catch his balance off the snap that was kind of Turner a little bit from a two-point but from a three-point Peyton Turner was expl- extremely explosive I don't think people realize how quick he is <laughs> he gets off the ball lightning fast and he can get up that arc too long strides um again I don't think he's going to be like an elite bender, but his three cones obviously going to be very noteworthy to me um, at this pro day. So 
We'll see how he tests. I love the physicality. He does play a little bit high, but he's so physical with his hands that I think he can get by that way as long as you're not asking him to be a full-time three technique or something. I think on the edge he can he can play a little bit high, and he's not going to get washed out because he's so physical and he's so quick. He's the first guy into your pads most of the time. Um, so he might be one of those out like you know, one of those guys that could play outside, kind of like a like a Calais Campbell did when he was outside. You know, he never played with leverage. He's just so big and long and strong that it didn't matter. And that might be Turner in the run game. Not sure he'll ever be a space player. So, you know, maybe teams that want to drop their edges a lot, you know, won't, won't consider him. Maybe they will. I don't know. Jason Pierre-Paul, nobody ever thought he'd be dropping a hundred times a season for a Super Bowl champion, but there he was picking off a couple passes. And so, you know, maybe that's, maybe it's just about knowing your landmarks and that's enough. And maybe he can do that. That's a good point, John. Yeah, I honestly, I haven't seen any Peyton Turner, so he's definitely somebody that I'm interested to kind of dive into. But I want to ask you about late round players, some, some you know, round four, round five, some of those edge rushes. Who are your favorites, and who do you think could possibly fit into that Patrick Graham scheme that we talked about before? Um, okay, round four, five. Uh, I mean, I have a lot of bigger names in there that I would say, like, it would be silly for me to kind of call them my favorite. Like, I have... Joe Tryon in round four. I mean, he could definitely make me look bad, no question. He he has this elite frame, and he tested well, and he apparently loves the game, but it just, on tape, he just seems like he is so far away to me. Um, Carlos Basham, I have in round four. A lot of people love him. Gregor Rousseau, Ronnie Perkins, his athletic testing uh, destroyed anything that he had on tape for me. He's bottom-tier <laughs> athlete at the position. And he wasn't great on tape. It wasn't like, you know, he was just okay. Um, Jordan Smith from UAB is I really, I, I, he's again, his, his pro day's Friday too. I can't wait to see how he tests. Um, I think he's going to test really well. I also want to see what he weighs in at. He has some reps on tape and it's obviously not the best competition ever. You know, he played pretty decent against Miami, I thought, but I mean, I think it's against Rice. I mean, he, it's, they are trying to come back at the end of the game and it's like pass rush obvious situations and he is just like teeing off and he's very explosive Speed bend is like his game. He he dipped under a tackle. I know it's a rice tackle at full speed, and he sacked the quarterback. And late at the end of the game, I was like, oh my goodness! It was one of those reps that you immediately cut the play just because he's just that kind of an athlete. Big, long. I think he's six seven, and he's very bendy, but he's very physical. Guys like that, you're thinking, oh, they're probably getting mauled in the run game. He plays off the side of blocks all the time. You know, you can only live that way for so long, probably in the NFL. But it's interesting. He doesn't really get pushed around like you'd expect, you know, will guys catch him in the NFL and bury him a few times? Probably, but he's just real slippery. He's quick and he uses his hands. He like knocks down punches. And I think tackles see him and they kind of eye him up and like lick their chops a little bit because they think they're going to plant this lanky dude. And then he just kind of like evades contact really well. He's dances around and uh, he's a unique player. I'm just really intrigued by him. If he's there on day three, I would love to be able to work with him if his character checks out because he's got a lot of the traits that I think are pretty interesting. And then there's guys like Ellerson Smith and Chauncey Golston who I don't think I had in that in those rankings that I've seen enough of to know. And I'll I'll grade him before the draft. Those two at least. I just really like I like him. I love you know Chauncey Golston, unbelievable. He plays so hard and he's an inside guy sometimes for Iowa and he plays outside. He was great at the Senior Bowl. Nobody talks about him. He's like 267. He's he's definitely a little bit of a tweener, but He's he's just tough enough and physical enough, um, and just plays with that motor, quick hands. He, he's just a quick. He's quick in general. Like I think he's just going to mismatch some people, um, no matter where he plays. He might be kind of a versatile career guy, career guy that, that plays a pretty versatile role. And then Ellerson Smith. I mean, his body transformation in Northern Iowa was probably one of the most insane things I've ever seen. I don't know if you guys have seen the pictures of when Ellerson Smith first got to Northern Iowa, he's just like a string bean. And now he literally, I mean, he looks like a Greek God, like he looks unbelievable. And so just what he, the time and the energy I know he's probably put into his craft. I've seen people give Max Crosby vibes. Uh, I don't know. Like I'm going to watch more tape to see if that's on point. Max Crosby has like the lanky, the most unlikely looking NFL body ever. Like Ellerson Smith looks like an absolute tank. So physically, I don't know that I see the comparison athletically Allerson Smith just absolutely destroyed his pro day. So he's very, very interesting to me on day three too. Um, if he even makes it to day three, I guess he might be a guy that sneaks into round three with the energy and athleticism he plays with. Awesome stuff, John, as usual. All right, we're going to wrap it up with this and leave the listeners with this. 
You, you released your top 15 interior defensive line, defensive tackle rankings today, and I quote, you said, this is without a question the worst defensive tackle class I've studied in my eight years of doing this. So let's just set the tone with that for all the listeners. But I will say this, the Giants run a very unique system. We've talked about this at length on the pod, and we breached it a little bit, broached it a little bit here. They like to look for these two gapping defensive linemen. They're really important mm-hmm. in their system. It's why they signed Danny Shelton. So – in this class, are there any two-gapping defensive line players that you think could be there on day three that the Giants might want to look at and target? It's actually a really bad class for what the Giants like, so it makes it very interesting to me that if they want one, they might feel like they have to go early. I mean, let's just look at some of the guys. Uh, Oso Digazua, you know, I mean, 282 pounds. You know, it's just like he's never two-gapped in his life. You know, it's Milton Williams from Louisiana Tech, Tommy Tommy Togiai, uh, Ohio State, like – you know, those are smaller defensive tackles, all of them. They're one gap, quick, penetrating, get up field type of defensive tackles. You know, I, Jay Tufele, he's he's not small, but again, he's no way is he going to two gap for. He's a he's a gap shooter slasher that really didn't test like a great athlete. So you, you kind of take him off off the table. You know, Davion Nixon and Levi Onwuzurike, they might be able to do a little bit of everything, but neither are consistent enough yet, and both are much better as three techniques, get up field type of players. Same with Christian Barmore, to be honest. You know, I don't, some people may get, fall in love with that, with mocking him there because of the Giants' love for defensive tackles and Gettleman's love for defensive tackles and even the fact that they've, you know, had Dalvin Tomlinson. I even saw a comparison to Christian Barmore of Dalvin Tomlinson. I can't remember who it was now. Mike Tannenbaum, that's who it was. Unbelievable. Yikes. I don't see the comparison whatsoever. It's literally scouting the helmet. They couldn't be more different players. I mean, they have Real. complete opposite skill sets. Where Tomlinson was no ceiling at all, technically sound, great run defender, could immediately step in and play, you know, all three downs if you wanted, but could play especially those early downs. And I just, again, like I, Barmore is the exact opposite. I worry about him in run defense and technique and mental processing, but I think he's very quick and explosive and he can definitely pass rush already. So um, I don't really see the fits with any of those guys. I mean, Ali McNeil is one that stands out, just immovable kind of gap sitter, gap holder type of player. Not going to make many plays away from his gap. Not going to do anything as a pass rusher. Not going to explode through gaps and make plays behind the line of scrimmage. But if you try to come in the A gaps, you better find some space. He's not going to give it to you. Like, he's just not going to give you space. Um, So maybe he's one of those types of guys. Bobby Brown from Texas (laughs) A&M. Right now he's just a project. I don't know what he does eventually. 6'4", 320, tested unbelievable, unbelievable frame, just not good at football right now. I mean, that's just the – and energy is just so low on tape, you know. Last guy off the ball all the time, just kind of throws his body into people or just sits on blocks. And he only plays like 20 snaps a game for Texas A&M. So it's tough to know, you know, if you could light a fire under him maybe, but, you know, we're talking about day three in my mind. Uh, where you're taking that kind of a chance. And then you got the nose tackles, you know, Tyler Shelvin, Marvin Wilson, um, those types. Uh, you know, I think those are maybe guys, if you want to just appear in a, but again, I don't think any of those guys are really great fits for the job. I mean, looking at just who they've drafted, I don't know how many of those guys are great fits. I mean, honestly, Oso Digazu was just interesting to me. I don't know if he's going to be a fit for the Giants, but um, he just, he doesn't get knocked around. He's 282 pounds, and they played him at nose tackle, a lot, and he just does. I mean, that's you would never question his size off tape. When you look at the roster and you see what his weight is, you're like, oh man, this is gonna be tough. But he, that's not a problem for him. He's good now. He's got to play. He's got to use his length way better. He's 34 inch arms. You'd never know it. He's body to body with guys all the time. But he's just his legs are so strong. I mean, he just leans on people and knocks them into the backfield. He doesn't even know how to control blockers yet or stack and shed or anything like that. So there's something there with him. Maybe he's a little bit smaller than their typical prototype, but I, I could see him maybe maybe going to see Adigazua. Yeah, and I hear that breakdown of the interior defensive line, John, and it makes me really happy because it makes me feel like there won't be that player there <laughs> on the board who Gettleman's staring at like, I got him ranked 40 spots higher than anybody on the board here. I got to go with it. You know, I just don't – I it makes me feel good to know there probably won't be that player in this class because well, – Derek Brown would have been, I mean, he would have been, like, honestly, I was like, there's no way they take a D tackle, but my gosh, I know that Gettleman loves Derek Brown. Like, just, that's just, he was just so his type 
to me. Um, and there's nobody like that in this class. Thank, thankfully, I think, for the Giants' sake, because I don't think they can afford to go interior defensive line again um, with what they got on the roster. But anyway, for those of you who don't already know this, you can follow all of John's work at Pewter Report. And literally everything we talked about on this podcast today is published and is talked about in depth. And I want to point out the Jordan Smith clip that he was talking about, and that's Jordan Smith from UAB, sleeper potentially for the Giants, French for any team at the edge position in this class. That clip is up on this article, and it's awesome. Me and Nick have been watching this back like 40 times. He just blows around that left tackle. Um, so it's awesome stuff. John, where else can people find your work and anything else you want to promote right now? I mean, yeah, you can always listen to the Pewter Report podcast. We do just a lot of draft conversations there. Um, Wednesday night, Dane Brugler was on with me, and we had an extensive podcast about the quarterbacks in the class. So if Giants fans are interested in in that topic, you know, and, and especially with Philadelphia, and, and could be potentially, we talked about that a little bit, you know, in the mix for a quarterback still, even after moving back to 12, the way that some of the quarterbacks are looking right now, the stock for them are looking. So anyway, we, we did that podcast Wednesday. So you can go back Peter Report TV on YouTube and you can check out that podcast between Dane and I. It's one of the most recent ones. Dane had tons and tons of good information to share uh, about the draft um, and the quarter, where the quarterbacks are slated to go, as well as the day three quarterbacks too, um, the, the day two and day three quarterbacks uh, that people might be interested in. But yeah, the Peter Report podcast, we do a lot of draft conversations. We'll have a lot of good guests on uh, coming up and leading up to the draft over the next month. And then uh, obviously over PeterReport.com, even though it is a buck site, I do publish things like today, for example, on Thursday, I dropped my defensive tackle rankings uh, for the class. So anybody who's interested in the defensive tackles in the class can look at that too. And so stuff like that does go up there as well. And then obviously at Ledyard NFL Draft on Twitter uh, is where you can find me and, and ask me whatever questions you want about my horrible rankings. <laughs> All right, John, thank you so much for joining us here on the Big Blue Banter Podcast. This has been a pleasure. Absolutely, guys. I appreciate you having me as always. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.